Yeah, let's get your Bibles out. Luke 19 is where we're looking this morning, one of the Gospels. We're going to look at a story of Jesus interacting with a guy by the name of Zacchaeus, Luke 19. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, take that one with you, okay? We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, especially if you will commit to reading it uh, on a regular basis. We're finishing up our series. We've got two weeks left in uh, Go Coastal. Uh, then we've got our parent-child dedication, uh, Lord's Supper, and baptism service coming up. I believe it's on the 18th. That's a great service, one of my favorite services, kind of in preparation for Thanksgiving. Uh, then we got the Thanksgiving weekend, and then you're not going to believe this. We get into the holidays. Can you believe that? Uh, I don't know how many shopping days are left. Uh, I will post my Christmas wish list online, and you guys can have at it, all right? So... Um, yeah, today we're going to look at a guy that uh, was passionate about finding Christ. He had a tender heart towards the things of Christ, towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see how Jesus responded to him. And uh, his name is Zacchaeus. And, you know, when we're passionate about something, uh, we'll go at great lengths to get what we want to get after, yes? And, and this can happen in both a good way and a bad way. I've told you guys, I, I've done some really extreme things to uh, get in front of my favorite sports team to watch it. You know, I, I've recorded them. And then back in the day, back before cell phones, you know, we would record, we'd record a game on a VCR. How many of y'all have ever done that, right? And then wait, you know, I, I literally have avoided TV and internet and things for days so that I could watch the game and it'd be new to me, right? A surprise to me. I remember when my wife was extremely pregnant, you know, um, there's no such thing as being a little pregnant, but she was extremely pregnant, and uh, we were flying, and I made this poor woman uh, run through an airport because we had a 20-minute window to catch our connector, and if we didn't catch our connector, I would miss Michael Jordan's last game as a Chicago Bull, you know, and we, I made her run so we could get home in time. I, I think I sunk... Uh, to a new low last Sunday, though, um, in trying to get in front of my favorite team. My favorite sports football team, NFL team, is the Seattle Seahawks. And so uh, each year I par purchase the NFL Game Pass. And the way the Game Pass works is they record all the games during the day, and then about 8.30 at night they upload them so that you can watch them. And so uh, my small group uh, meets on Sunday night at 5 o'clock. And, and when we meet, I always lay down the ground rules, our first week of the small group, I say, listen, this is, a, this is an intimate group. If somebody shares something that's personal and intimate, there's no gossip. It doesn't leave this room unless it's a crime, okay? And so, uh, that's a joke. Uh, so, you know, and so, unless it's a crime, well, that's not a joke, actually. So, um, <laughs> you, if you confess a crime, I have to report it, all right? So, that's a part of my job. But, um, but yeah, so it's an intimate place. I said, that's ground rule number one. I said, ground rule number two, I don't know the score of the Seahawks game. If you blurt out any NFL scores in this, in this small group, you'll be in trouble, all right? So, there's no blurting out small group scores. And a lot of times, my small group laughs at that, and I'm like, I'm not kidding, okay? So seriously, don't tell me the score. And so last week I was in Haiti, and, uh, and I was, we get to this orphanage, and it's an orphanage that a friend of mine supports. Actually, we help support them a little bit, and we're a small part of that. They wanted me to see the orphanage. And, and we get there, and we, the Wi-Fi is really slow, and I'm like, man, 
here I am in this third world country, poverty, and I'm worried about how am I going to watch the Seahawks game. I told you I sunk to his new low, right? And so, like, how am I going to see this game? And so day two in my room, I noticed at the bottom of the wall was this round thing. And I was like, you know what? I think that's the Wi-Fi router. And maybe there's a Cat5 cable connected to it. So I take the Wi-Fi router off the wall, and I look, and sure enough, it's got a Cat5 cable. And I'm like, you know what? If I plug that into my computer, maybe the video will stream. And so I plug it into my computer, and sure enough, it had enough juice to stream video. Great news, right? And so here was the problem. The Cat5 cable was only about five inches long coming out of the wall, okay? So now you got to get the picture. 10 o'clock on Sunday night, I've got my computer on the floor of a tile floor in Haiti, and for two hours from 10 to midnight, I sat on the floor cheering on my Seattle Seahawks, right? I, I told you I sunk to a new low, and they destroyed the Lions, all right? Woo, it was worth it. Uh, so I told you I sunk to a new low, but man, I've done some crazy things to see my favorite team, and when you're passionate about something, you'll make it happen, Yes. You will, absolutely. And some of that's good. Like some of you in this room, man, you've done some good things. You've been passionate about Christ. And, and because of that, you're, you're generous or you're, 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 you're uh, in front of people sharing the gospel. Some of you are passionate about starting a business. You remember when you started a business, man, you went all in. And, and it was difficult. It was challenging. But you weren't deterred because, man, you had a vision of what could be and, and you, were, you were passionate about it. Sometimes we're passionate about our sin, right? There's a sin. There's a particular sin. And and we've done some hurtful, and, and you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We've been on the path to death, uh, pursuing our sin, because that's what we want to do. And, and man, we will co- accomplish, if, if we set our mind to it, the things that we want to accomplish, we're passionate about. Today we're going to see a guy uh, that was passionate about getting to Christ. Why? Because his heart had been captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and his name is Zacchaeus. Now, if you grew up in church, you know the song, right, that he's small in stature. He's a, he's a short guy. So let's do this. Rather than me retell the story, let's just read it. It's a short story, Luke chapter 19, 1 to 10, right? It says, he, meaning Jesus, he entered Jericho, and he was passing through, verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, in other words, he's in front of the sycamore tree, he looks up and he says to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, up the half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since you, he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, is a very famous verse, right, came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I want to park here for a minute, and I want to rewind your memory, and uh, I wish I'd probably done these sermons back to back, but I want you to think back to two weeks ago when I preached on the rich young ruler, all right? And so what, well, the way I want to start this sermon today is I want to contrast two different hearts, 
And by the end of this, I want you to be looking introspectively into your own heart and say, man, is my heart soft and tender towards the things of God? Or man, have I been hardened by pride or by sin? Or, you know, do I think, even as a Christian, I think we can wander away where our hearts burn hot for the things of God and, and the need of Christ, right? And so we have two different hearts. And if you remember, when we talked about the rich young ruler, remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and what did he say? How do I have eternal life? And what did Jesus say? give to him. Remember? Does anybody remember? What did Jesus do? Gave him the law, right? And we'll keep the rules. You know, honor your father and mother. Don't murder. You know, it goes through this list of rules. And what does the rich young ruler say? Well, I've done all these things. I've kept the law. And so Jesus had to awaken his heart, his stubbornness, his pride to the fact that no, you haven't, and you don't even know the character of God to say that you've kept all of the law, right? And so he, he says, well, one thing you lack, sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And he was rich. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's comparing the hearts of two rich people, all right? Rich young ruler is rich. Zacchaeus is rich. We're, we, we see that in both texts. Yet one becomes a follower of Christ. The other does not. What's going on, right? And how does Jesus approach each of these different hearts, all right? And so at the end of the rich young ruler, Jesus says, listen, you got to give all that you have to the poor, and then you'll have eternal life. And so what is Jesus doing? Well, he's combining the first commandment, which is to have no other gods before God himself, and don't covet. He's combining him because this man loves his money, his wealth, his reputation, the rich young ruler does, right? And he doesn't want to get, he does not generous. He still covets his stuff. And so Jesus combines the first and ten, first commandment, ten commandments, says give everything away and then you'll have eternal life. Jesus is not telling him to earn salvation. He's trying to get to his heart. And we talked about that two weeks ago. So the rich, the rich young ruler goes away sad. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 24, just one chapter back from our, serve, our, our text here this morning, it says, Jesus seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. This should make us uncomfortable as 20th, 20th century Americans, okay? I know a lot of you are saying, I'm not wealthy. Yet you're in the top probably 2 to 3% wealthiest people in the world. All right, is, is a middle-class American. Verse 25, for it is easier, Jesus said, for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this was concerning to the hearers, as Jesus is saying this, because I'm sure some of them were wealthy by their standards of their time. And so in verse 26, it says, those who heard it said, then who can be saved and Jesus gives us some hope here. He says, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so our God, and what Jesus is saying, God, our God is still in the miracle business. When a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, it is a miracle. It is the miraculous work of the Word of God and the Spirit of God enlightening a heart to their need of salvation. When our God in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, kicks in a stubborn heart door that is rebellious and sinful and awakens a person to the need of the gospel, that is a miracle, yes? And we should celebrate when God does that. Now, when we present the gospel, because this is about Go Coastal, this is what our series is on, we're in the community, we're presenting the gospel 
I think that it's important that we understand the heart posture of the person we're talking to, which impacts how we present Jesus to a person, all right? Now, I want to show you something out of John 1, verse 14. This is out of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, John, when it comes to Christmas, all right, uh, Matthew and Luke, when it comes to Christmas, give us shepherds and sheep and twinkly stars and horses of angels and mangers, okay? John takes a more theological approach, you know? He, he's giving us the theology behind Christmas. And one of the things he says in John 1, 14, he says, and the Word became flesh, talking about Christ, and He dwelled among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And now He's describing Jesus. He says, and Jesus was full of what, church? Grace and truth, all right? So Christ is 100% full of grace, and He's 100% full of truth. And so when we present Christ... What we want to do is try to come and understand the heart posture of a person that we're talking to. And, and we have to decide, man, does this person need to hear the grace of Jesus? Or does this person need to hear the truth of Jesus, the truth of the law, his righteous demand, the righteous demands of God? One of the things I said two weeks ago, it's law to the proud, but it's grace to the humble. And I think there's a... Um, there's, a, there's an error circulating in the church of America. I hear people say this, and I know what we mean by it, but, but I think we do have to be cautious, right? I hear people say this a lot. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. Isn't it, Pastor Sean? There's a very popular song out there right now. Grace wins what? Every time, Right? I know what they mean, and I'm not trying to be like too crazy about every song and parsing every song down to the nth degree, but I do think we have to have an understanding of Christ, that Christ was full of grace and full of truth, right? And so we, in, in understanding and presenting the gospel, there's a danger with the idea that grace wins every time. And the danger is grace without truth leaves no place for correction and no place for just, justice and no place for discipline and no place for healthy confrontation of a hard heart, Okay, so we have to understand the condition and the heart posture. So the rich young ruler, he's proud, he's self-righteous, he thinks he's kept the law of God, he thinks, yeah, I haven't violated the holiness of God. And so what does Jesus offer him? Truth, law. You've got to keep the rules. He's trying to waken his heart up to the need that, man, I need saving. I'm a rebellious sinner to the character, the holy character of God, and man, I need saving. The rich young ruler wasn't there yet. He was self-righteous. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, when he shows up, guess what? He's humble. He, he's willing to do whatever he needs to do to get to Christ. He, he's hungry to find out more. And so, and so what does Jesus offer Zacchaeus, right? I've already led you there. What does he offer Jesus? I mean, what does Jesus offer him? He offers him grace, right? 
And so what's the heart posture of Zacchaeus? Well, we see it in, in, in verse 3 and 4 of Luke 19. So Zacchaeus comes and it says that he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't see him. Why? Because he was small in stature. So what did Zacchaeus do? He ran on ahead and he climbed up in the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Listen, Zacchaeus doesn't make excuses for searching for Christ. I'm too short. I've got problems. You know, I've heard all these excuses when it comes to church. I always, always love this. Like the, the, the excuses people make for not coming to church, they would never use for not getting up for work on Monday morning, right? Tired, headache, clock went forward, clock went backwards. Why are we doing that again? Anyway, clocks forwards, backwards, who knows, right? All kinds of, and so Zacchaeus doesn't make any excuses, man. He knows his need and he wants to get to Christ and he'll do anything he needs to get to Christ. And he's certainly not, not pushed off by his pride. He's humble. He, he's not too proud, all right? What does he do? He climbs a sycamore tree. I want you to think about this, right? Tree climbing is for children, all right? Anybody here over 50 that doesn't work in the tree industry? When was the last time you climbed a tree just for fun, you know? Honey, I think I'm going to go up to that fourth branch. That looks awesome, you know? Like, you just don't do that, right? No, he's a leader in the community. He's wealthy. He, he's above climbing trees. He's, he's a humble heart, right? And what does he do? He does whatever he needs to do to get to Christ. Why? Because his heart's already engaged and he's humble. In fact, there's some of you here today. Listen, I want to challenge if you're here today and you, you don't yet call yourself a Christian, but you've been coming on a regular basis, you've been hearing the gospel. I want to challenge you because I think sometimes it's our pride that keeps us from becoming Christians. In fact, I would say usually. It's our pride that keeps us from being Some of you, you know the gospel and you haven't yet repented of your sin and believed in Jesus because you're worried about what others will think. The friends at school, the neighbors, a parent. Maybe for you it's just like, man, I've held on to my unbelief so long that it's just going to be super humbling to say that I'm now a believer. And, and listen, you're worried about what other people will think, and I want to challenge you with this. What does God think? One day you're going to stand before the God of the universe and what really matters, not that you held on stubbornly to some unbelief or some unrepented sin in your heart. What's going to matter is what did you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did you turn from your sin and did you believe in Christ? And if that's you, man, I want to encourage you, make today the day. Say, you know what? I want to be like Zacchaeus. I'm not too proud to get to Christ. I don't care who knows. I want to, I want to connect with my Creator. There's a great story in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel, where David, King David, the shepherd boy, is anointed king, and um, he defeats the Philistine army, and after he defeats the Philistine army, the Philistines had stolen away the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a, um, I guess, a physical representation of the presence of God, and so when it left Israel, the people of Israel were grieved, and so David defeats the Philistines, and he, and he brings the Ark of the Covenant uh, back to Israel. And as it's coming back to the nation, David is so excited. The people of Israel are celebrating. There's music. And why, by the way, why do we sing? 
Man, we sing because we've been redeemed. God has saved us from our sins and the personal work of Christ. And it, all, around the people of God, there's always been music. Right? We can't help ourselves. Man, we're just joyous. And David is joyous. And the presence of God's coming back to the nation of Israel. And he's joyous and he's dancing before the Lord. He's just, he's just celebrating the presence of God, being back with the people of God. And, and, and as he's celebrating, you know, his wife, who was Saul, the previous king's daughter, sees him dancing dancing and sees him celebrating and she's disgusted by his behavior. She's like, man, you're not acting very kingly. Kings don't act like that. Kings, kings are dignified and kings don't dance before the Lord, you know. And she confronts Dave and she basically says, you look like a fool out there today dancing before the Lord. And, and David in 2 Samuel 6 says, listen, I would become more undignified than this to honor my Lord that's a beautiful picture of a humble heart, a heart repentant, a heart says, you know what, God saved me from my sin and, and I'll do what I need to do to praise him and I'll do what I do, need to do to tell him I love him. And, and so often it's pride that keeps us from knowing and following and pursuing Jesus. And where's the heart posture of Zacchaeus? He's humble. I'll do what I need to do to get to Christ. It's humbling that he's admitting that he has a need. It's humbling that he admits I'm broken. It's humbling to admit that we're sinners. Listen, it, humility is essential to be a Christian. It's to admit, man, I'm broken and I'm needy and I need saving. And we see the heart posture of Zacchaeus, man, he's humble. I'll do what I need to do to get to God. Listen, he's just like the rich young ruler. He's got power, he's got authority, he's wealthy. Jesus says it's hard for the wealthy to see the kingdom of God. Who can be saved, they ask in Luke 18, right? What's Jesus say? What's impossible for man is possible for God. And now he's illustrating Zacchaeus, a humble man. And so the third thing we see is that Jesus ultimately saves sinners. Jesus saves sinners, Luke chapter 9, verse 19, verse 5, right? And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry down and come. And, and I don't think the English fully grasps how emphatic Jesus is here. He says, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus is coming. He's seeking. He's saving. It is the work of salvation is in the hand of God alone from beginning to end. By the way, let me take a side note here. I'm going to give you a, I don't know, this isn't, this isn't in the Bible. Okay, this is Sean Brown's speculation. Here it is, Sean Brown's speculation. How in the world did Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? Well, some of you are like, well, he's God. He knows everything. And that could be, right? That very well could be, all right? So it could be. But, but I just want to speculate, okay? Because in the same gospel, the gospel of Luke, if we go back to Luke chapter 5, do you remember, we talked about this three weeks ago, in Luke chapter 5 there was a guy named Levi that Jesus called to be his father. We know him as Matthew now. He wrote the gospel of Matthew, right? So Levi comes, he's a tax collector, which were considered the scum of the earth. If you remember how tax collectors made their money and it was always unjust and stealing from people and no one liked the tax collectors. And so Levi becomes a Christian and what's the first thing he does? He throws a party with all the other low lives that he hangs out with, right? And he invites them, right? And so in Luke chapter five, what do we see in verse 29? And Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of what? Who'd he invite? The other tax collectors, right? So here's my speculation. I don't know, but what if Zacchaeus was at the party? Who He may have been Levi's boss because he was a chief guy. Hey, why don't you just come on out? We're going to party with Jesus. Okay, kind of thing. I don't, I don't know if that's the thing. But anyway, so, and he invites him. And just maybe, 
In that moment, that party, something was said. Jesus said something, Levi said something that just, it was resonating with Zacchaeus. He was thinking about it, he was pondering. And I tell you that to encourage you because I know some of you have gone out in the community and you've taken your Evangel Cube, you've taken your Romans Road, right? You've taken your bridge illustration. You know, you've taken and you've talked to someone, you've shared it and they didn't receive Christ. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, man, God is in the business of working. His word does doesn't return void. We never know what's going on in the heart and the mind. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to be the watchman on the wall and to share the gospel. And as we share the gospel, the word doesn't return void. We never know exactly what's happening. Luke chapter 18, Jesus says how hard it is for the rich to be saved. Jesus hangs out with a bunch of tax collectors in Luke 5, and all the while the Spirit of God is working on us at chaos. Isn't that great? And so maybe something Jesus said, I don't know. That's why the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 3, if you remember 1 Corinthians 3, uh, the church of Corinth was very divided around their leadership. You know, the, that church was like, man, I follow the Apostle Paul. And other people in the church were divided. Well, I follow after Apollos. And, and what does Paul say in, in, in Corinthians 3? He's like, Paul and Apollos are nothing, man. They're just servants of the Lord, he says, listen, Paul planted, Apollos watered. It's God who gives the increase, right? It's God who's doing the work. It's our job to be watchmen on the wall. It's God who saves people. Which, by the way, shameless plug, right? In two weeks, we're going to do our parent-child dedication. We're going to do, uh, do the baptism, and we're going to do the Lord's Supper. One of the things I, I love, never, 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 the reason I love baptism, never lose the awesome thing that's happening when someone stands in front of us and says, hey, I used to live for myself. I'm now following Christ. And they give their testimony. Listen, even if it's a, if it's a child that's grown up in a Christian home and their testimony is, you know, I do believe in Christ, but man, it was modeled in my home. That is a miracle of God to change a heart. And when we get done with a baptism testimony, that's why we should clap. And we're not just clapping for the testimony. That's part of it, man. But we are clapping that the God of the universe is still working in hearts and changing people and saving people. And your prayers and your sharing the gospel is not in vain. God is working. Amen? I love that service. I can't wait. And then Jesus commands, he says to Zacchaeus, I am coming to your house. I, I, don't know, I don't know if I can stress this strongly enough. This is not a request. This is a, it's an emphatic command in the original language where he says, I'm coming and you can't stop me. And here's my point. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus saves his elect. I'm talking about the doctrine of election, and I know that spins people up, but I want to tell you something. If you're here today, you're a Christian. It is completely the grace of God. It is the supernatural work of God when a person repents of sin and believes, and Jesus saves people from, we just sang about it in Nate's song, from before time began all the way to eternity future, Jesus say God in Christ saves his kids from beginning to end. Isn't that great news? 
So I don't have to get all spun up about, man, I committed this sin. I don't know. Is this the one that may, you know, you, no, we don't lose our salvation because it's grounded in the person and the work of God himself. And Jesus says, I'm coming in. Now, I know a lot of people, well, what about free will? Let me tell you something about free will, all right? My will is in bondage to sin. And if my will is in bondage to sin, I pray that God would kick the, my rebellious heart door in. Yes? My prayer for me is, God, keep my heart soft because, man, my own tendencies is to be rebellious and to do things my way. And I hope that you're good enough to say, I'm coming to your house. Amen? Come to my house, God, because I left to myself, I'll, I'll build a rebellious wall. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. So Jesus comes in, and here's the deal, okay? We see the results of genuine salvation See the results of genuine salvation. Zacchaeus is a believer. In Luke chapter 19, verse 8, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Okay? Now, I know when you sit here 2,000 years removed from this story, it's, you may not have a full understanding of what's going on. So here, let me, let me help you understand this. This is really, really impressive what Zacchaeus did here. Okay, Zacchaeus understands the law of God. Okay, and so this is where you got to understand the Old Testament to understand what Zacchaeus is doing here. Okay, in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 5, we are told that if you're a thief, if you steal something and you get convicted of that and you want to re make restitution, in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 5, we're told that a thief must make restitution by paying back what they stole plus 20%. That's the Old Testament Levitical law, all right? And then in Exodus, Moses says in verse, chapter 22, verse 1, that if you steal an ox, if you steal an animal, and you, want to, and you get convicted and you want to make things right, you're to return the ox and a fivefold return. So you return five oxen for the one that you stole. And he says in the same verse that if you steal a sheep and you want to make restitution, you repay the sheep with a fourfold return. Okay? So Zacchaeus could have made a 20% restitution return, but he decides to go to Exodus and say, you know what, I'm going to make a four-fold return. And why is this important? You ready for this? I want all your eyeballs up here on the screen, however you look at me, okay? Zacchaeus was identifying himself as a thief. Zacchaeus knew the law, and even as now a believer, see, he's not earning his way into heaven. What's happening here is through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Zacchaeus is seeing his sin for what it really is, ugly, sinful rebellion against the character of God and against others. And so now that he's a believer, he says, I know the law, and I'm going to make restitution. Zacchaeus is identifying as a thief, the very opposite of the rich young ruler right? Here's the law. Richard was like, no, I've kept all that. He didn't understand. He violated every single one of the Ten Commandments. Zacchaeus, even as a believer, feels the weight of his sin, and he doesn't sugarcoat it, and he calls it what it is. Listen, as you, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you understand the weight of sin, and even as a believer, you don't sugarcoat your sin. And I see this all the time, right? Confessions. I messed up, but doesn't everybody mess up? 
And that's a blame shift. That's not a confession of sin. It's not feeling the weight of sin. Yeah, I made a mistake, but doesn't everybody make mistakes? I see this a lot in marriage counseling. Some couple make appointments to see me. And a person, one of, the, one of the two spouses, I know I hurt you, but... Like, once you put the conjunction on there, you really haven't wrestled with your own sin and its weight and its damage. But see, a genuine confession is this. I lied because I'm a liar. I, I looked on the internet at that pornography because I'm an adulterer. I use that substance and I abuse that substance over and over and over again because I'm an addict. Peer pressure. I did that with my friends because I care more about the approval of man than I do the approval of God. See, a genuine repentance is one that doesn't lighten sin, but it calls it what it is, and it targets its darkness, and it targets its rebellion, and says, man, this is who I really am. And until we come to grips with who I really am, man, we will never see our need for a really big Savior. And Zacchaeus got it. When Jesus came to his house, he said, listen, fourfold restitution. What is he saying? I'm a thief. I've stolen from these people, and I, because I now love God, and my God is a generous God who has forgiven me generously, guess what? The overflow of my salvation is I'm going to be a generous person in return. Yes? That's the heart of a believer. By the way, keeping your sin silent is brutal. It's brutal. I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's one of the big problems in our society, not just Christians, of course Christians, and, but like our society as a whole we're telling everybody that they're basically good. And so because of that, we live in a culture that we're told from a young age, man, you're basically good, you're basically good, you're basically good. No one's ever saying you're a sinner, you're rebelled against God. And so because of that, we all feel the weight of our brokenness and our shame and the guilt of sin, but we don't know what to do with it because we've been told it we're basically good. And so we stuff it. What does David say in Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4, dealing with his own sin? King David says this, for when I kept silent, in other words, I didn't confess my sin. When I didn't call it what it was, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Man, I, I think part of the challenge that we're facing in this culture, this anxiety and this suicide and, 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 and stress, a lot of it has to do with we're stuffing our sin and we're not calling. Listen, there is a freedom in confession, right? James 5 says, confess your sins, yes, to the Lord, but James 5 says, confess your sins to one another. When you tell someone else, listen, yeah, Pastor Andrew says this all the time, tell on your sin before it tells on you. It will come out. It will come out. But man, there's a freedom in confession. And Zacchaeus, what's he saying? I'm a thief. And I've stolen. And I know your word and you're a generous God. And I'm going to be generous in return. And so what, what is, what is Zacchaeus' heart posture now? It's one of generosity. It's one of generosity. Listen, Christians are a generous people. Why? 
because they worship and serve and they feast on a generous God. Why, are Christian, why as Christians do we offer forgiveness? We offer forgiveness freely because we realize, man, I have been forgiven a tremendous debt. If I got what I deserved, I'd be in big trouble, but God has been both merciful and gracious to me, and so therefore I can be merciful and gracious in return because I'm a generous person. Zacchaeus is generous, and he, we understand as Christians that we worship and serve a generous God that makes us generous people. His heart has been changed. He has received salvation. He's been transformed into a generous. This, this passage is not about buying salvation. This is about a heart that has been captured by the gospel. And when our hearts are captured by the gospel, we understand that we worship and we serve and we feast on a generous God. How generous has he been? Man, he has forgiven us our sin. Christ bore the wrath of sin that I deserve, that you deserve. Christ bore that for us. And he's called us his own. He's made us his children. That's why this passage ends with, you're now a son of Abraham. All the promises of Abraham that we looked at last year when we went through Genesis are now gifted to the children of God that repent of their sins and believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the overflow of that is Zacchaeus is a generous person. So here's my question. What's your heart posture this morning? We've held up the mirror of two different people who are interacting with Christ. There's the rich young ruler I'm good, I'm good. I've kept, I've kept, I don't need, I'm not needy, I'm not, I don't need to be humble, I don't need a savior. And then there's Zacchaeus, man. Man, I'm a thief, and I need saving. I'll do whatever I need to do to get to Christ and feast on Christ. What's your heart posture? I remember, um, when my wife and I were first dating, I, I was working at a Christian camp when I first met her, and, uh, and I would get, uh, I had to work till late Friday night, and I would get off Friday night, and I had Saturday off, and I had to be back by Sunday afternoon to work at the camp, and she was, I don't know, probably seven hours away, maybe eight hours away, and when we, towards the end of the summer, man, almost every weekend, Friday night late, I would get in my car, and with incredible joy and excitement, I would drive seven or eight hours to spend one day with her, then get in the car and drive home. And it didn't bother me. I'd drive back to work. It was awesome, and I didn't care. Contrast that with two weeks ago when I talked about her saying, I left my phone downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone should get that, you know? So, what's the difference? Heart posture, right? the difference heart posture and hey, well, who oh, I got to drive up seven hours goes by like that you want me to get down and go downstairs I'm warm you know so so here's the deal okay you have a soft heart or do you have a hard heart listen when you're doing evangelism you're talking to someone ultimately it's the Holy Spirit that softens the heart that's John chapter 3 it's the Holy Spirit that makes, makes the heart ready. Our job is to be the watchman on the wall. Our job is to pray. Our job is to open our mouths and share the gospel. It is Jesus that saves. I'm coming to you. When he's ready, he says, I'm coming to your house. It's the Holy Spirit that softens and draws. So, so you don't have to debate and you don't have to manipulate and you don't have to annoy. But we get to be a part of what God is doing in seeking 
and saving his elect, his children. He seeks and he saves them from beginning to end. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. We don't have to cajole the hearts. We don't have to manipulate a heart. The Holy Spirit draws. The Holy Spirit softens. We get to be a part of announcing. That's an evangelism. But now let me talk to you. Where's your heart today? Did you come in here with a hard heart? Did you come in here with a heart that says, I don't have any need? Did you come in here with a heart that uh, you got, maybe you got drugged to church. Your parents dragged you to church today, right? Oh, I'm just here. But maybe as I'm talking, man, maybe the Holy Spirit's working on your heart. Maybe it's growing softer to the gospel. You know, even as believers, we need to be reminded of the gospel. That's why we Take the Lord's service. Why we come every week? We need to be reminded. You know what? I need to feast on Christ because our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil will all work to harden our hearts, make us proud, make us self-righteous, remind us that we're not that we can do it on our own. And maybe today is a reminder: you're needy. We need Christ. I pray that you would feast on Christ, believer and unbeliever. The message of the gospel, repent of your sin, humble yourself, and need, need Jesus to save you. Let's close with prayer. Father, I'm reminded of the times my heart grows cold, and I want to thank you that the Holy Spirit continues to kick in the door of my hard, self-righteous heart. Reminds me of my need. Reminds me I need a Savior to save me. I want to be like Zacchaeus, God. I'm not deterred. There's nothing that gets in my way. I, I want to run to Christ no matter what. I recognize my sin. I don't sugarcoat it. I call it what it is. I confess it. I repent of it. And I run to Christ who declares me his own, who declares me his child, who declares me righteous, who declares me holy, who declares me a child, who declares me a prince or a princess, who declares me part of the family, who says all the, all the gift, all the celebration do Jesus. I share in that inheritance with Christ. We thank you for that. And we're a needy people we thank you for the gospel. Because of that, as a, as a believer, I get to sing, you are good, God. You are good. You have saved me from beginning to end. And for the one this morning doesn't yet know you, God, maybe your spirit's working on them. They came in here and their hearts were heavy. Their bones were drying up like Psalm 32 because they haven't confessed their sin and they haven't found hope. And I pray that right now they would say, you know what? I turn from my sin and I run to Christ who seeks and saves the lost, that they would be saved today, that they could go out here singing with the rest of us, you are good because you have saved us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.